May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Our scripture reading for the sermon tonight comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. As you can see, we are reaching the very end of our series in the Gospel of Luke. We have left a lot of food on the table. We have not covered every jot and tittle of the Gospel of Luke, but we've hit some high points to give an overview of the story of Jesus Christ in this Gospel. And I remind you that at the beginning, we saw that Luke wrote this Gospel to those who are God-lovers. And said that he wrote this because he wanted God lovers to know the certainty, know beyond the shadow of doubt, the truths that they had heard and learned about the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully and prayerfully, we have been confirmed in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the scriptures this evening. As I'll be reading from Luke 24 44 to 53. The word of God reads. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading the preaching, and the hearing of His Word, and all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you might have gathered by now, just in the course of the service, judging by the Scripture readings, the prayers, and the songs, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ from earth into heaven is the focal point of the service and the sermon. The ascension of Jesus. Now, I must confess that perhaps like many of you and certainly like many professing Christians in our time, the ascension was not always important to me. Outside of a few cavalier remarks about Jesus still being in charge and still sitting on his throne, remarks that were usually made after an election season. I've seen some of those. Babylon B has a hilarious article about that. I've seen other pastor friends who were not happy with the election cite the same kinds of things. Well, at least Jesus is still on his throne. He was on his throne before the election, but that was not mentioned. Uh, 
on Facebook until afterwards. The point of all of this is that like many of you, the ascension was not a key fundamental doctrine in my experience. It was not something that the tradition I came from or the circles I ran in emphasized. Not many of us paid much attention to the ascension of Jesus. And in my case, in my life, all of that began to change several years ago when my family and I were doing mission work in South Mexico. A family from the church invited our family to spend the afternoon with them at their house. And we drove out to their house. It was a makeshift shelter that sat on a rocky hill at the edge of the city. The family was dirt poor. The husband was crippled in both legs due to an accident that he had suffered while at work. Their children were well-mannered, trying to pursue education. They did what they could to help around the house. The wife worked a variety of odd jobs here and there just to keep eggs and cheese and beans and tortillas on the table. The wife's name was Asuncion. Asuncion. It sounds like ascension, but it's not ascension. It's the word for assumption. Her name was new to my ears, so I asked her what it meant. And what she said was, Los Catolicos refer to the story, say that the name refers to the story of the Virgin Mary being taken up into heaven. But I don't believe that story. I prefer to say that it refers to the story of Jesus rising up in Las Nubes, rising up in the clouds. So moved by her faith, I started to take more interest in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ from that day on. And it is my hope and prayer that this sermon will help you do the same. I want us to look at the ascension of Jesus from three different perspectives the historical perspective, the theological perspective, and the existential perspective. And to make it even simpler, all I want to do is look at what happened, what it means, and why it matters. As we heard in the scripture reading before the sermon, Jesus led his disciples away from the city of Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives toward the town of Bethany. Jesus has spent a lot of time in Bethany with Lazarus, his friend, and Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, and became kind of a home base for him. All of this is happening 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I want you to know that for those 40 days, Jesus had been doing a lot of different things to verify and confirm his resurrection. For 40 days, he had been eating with his disciples, walking with his disciples, teaching his disciples the truth of the kingdom of God. And now on the 40th day, when it is time for Jesus to to go, to return to heaven, he lifts his hands over his disciples and blesses them. This might have been the ancient benediction that Aaron would give the people of God by which God would put his name on the people. But Luke doesn't tell us that's what it was. He simply says Jesus blessed them. I think of this as a missional benediction, much like the one we hear at the end of our service each week. A missional benediction because this benediction includes prophetic elements and missional elements. Jesus says, wait, wait. 
and the Holy Spirit will come upon you in a few days and then go to the ends of the earth as my witnesses, sharing your testimony about the good news of the kingdom. So when Jesus had given his disciples this missional benediction, as they are looking on, he's lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, for you little kids who are listening, I want you to have in mind something that you might see in some of your superhero movies. You've all seen superheroes that are able just to launch from the ground and and go up into the sky and disappear into a cloud. And that's very much what Jesus was doing here. I don't know how fast he did this, but the scripture indicates that he was lifted up from the ground and disappeared into a cloud. Now lifted up means that he was lifted up in the body that he had. This is very important. He's lifted up in the same body that was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary's womb. This is the same body that was tired at times, the same body that grew weary, the same body that felt hunger, the same body that shed tears. This is the same body that touched lepers, the same body that Jesus conducted his ministry in. That's the body that was lifted up. It's the same body that was beaten and scourged prior to the crucifixion. It's the same body that was crucified and buried. It's the same body that was resurrected just 40 days ago. It is Jesus in that body that is lifted up before the eyes of his disciples. And if you were standing there that day in space-time history watching this event unfold, you would see Jesus ascend with nail scars in his hands and still a scar in his side where the spear pierced him. Jesus ascended into heaven in a nail-scarred spear-pierced, resurrected body. He did not ascend as a ghost or a spirit, and he did not take off his human costume as he went up into the clouds. Jesus ascended as the God-man. The body with which he ascended is the body he retains even today at this moment. It is that resurrected, glorified body that is seated at the right hand of God. Now, these things happened in a real geographic location in real space time history. But the question we ask is, what do these things mean? What does this mean that Jesus ascended in the body? Well, it means that Jesus was fulfilling the promises of God and the mission that God had given him. You see, in this historical narrative, as we see it here, we see it also in Acts 1. The risen Lord Jesus Christ ascends, not just as the God-man in the abstract sense, but he ascends as priest, prophet, and king. And you get a sense of that by Jesus' ministry to his disciples standing on that hill near Bethany, between Bethany and the Mount of Olives. He's serving as a priest because he lifts his hands and blesses his disciples. A prophet because he speaks God's word to them about things happening now and things that are to happen soon. As king because he sends them on mission to the ends of the earth and then enters into his glory. They are to go and publish the good news of his reign throughout all the nations. Now many things could be said about all three of these 
ministries of Jesus. But I want us to focus on his office as king. I want us to focus on his office as king. Jesus ascended into heaven on a cloud and he sat down at the right hand of God. But why? For what purpose did he do these things? You could go through the scriptures and piece together what the scriptures say from the Old Testament into the New. And these are some things you would gather from the prophets and the Psalms and the law. Some things you would gather from the Gospels and the epistles. But here's why Jesus ascended. Here is why Jesus went up in a cloud and sat at the right hand of God. Scripture makes it clear that he did this to receive the kingdom, the power and the glory as both Lord and Christ to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit and then pour out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, on all Jews and Gentiles. He did this to rule from his throne at the right hand of the father until the father puts all enemies under Jesus's feet and makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. He did this to reveal his glorious radiance and to inherit his majestic name, the name that is above every name, the name by which we must be saved. For there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name Jesus, which is Savior. And he did this to reign over all creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, much more could be added to this, but this gives you a snapshot of why Jesus ascended as king and sat on his throne of grace. Suffice it to say for now that Jesus ascended as triumphant king of glory and as victorious Lord of heaven and earth. This is not a retreat, not an escape from reality, but it's Jesus entering into his inheritance. The ascension shows us that Jesus is the son of man who went up to the ancient of days on a cloud in power and glory. That Jesus is the son of God who was set on Mount Zion and enthroned above above all the nations. And so what you see in this is that the ascension, while it's a very brief story in the Gospels and the book of Acts, it's a very small story with great significance. As we can say about so many doctrines and truths of the Christian faith, it's much bigger on the inside than it appears to be on the outside. The ascension makes all the difference. In his delightful little book, Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl, N.D. Wilson says that the story of the Bible can be summarized in this way. Kill the dragon, get the girl. And you've heard us plagiarize him many times as we've used that same line. Kill the dragon, get the girl. And we all get his point and his point is good as far as it goes. But I want you to see that it doesn't go quite far enough. From what we've seen up to this point today, there's more to the story than kill the dragon, get the girl, isn't there? There's much more to the story. In fact, it's not enough for the shepherd to kill the dragon, or deal his enemies a crushing blow, he must also take captivity captive. He must also proclaim his victory over his enemies. He must also lead his enemies in a triumphal procession to show that he has, in fact, killed the dragon and deserves to get the girl. And this is why the ascension is so essential. Without the ascension, Jesus simply slays the dragon, but does not get the girl 
But with the ascension, Jesus crushes the serpent's head and he receives his bride. You see, the ascension changes everything. Michael Horton explains in his uh, thoughtful book, Pilgrim Theology, that the ascension of Christ actually created a new set of affairs in the world. The kingdom of heaven descends to earth in the person of its king and then returns through the triumphal arch of heaven with our flesh and our history raised to its final destiny, its final glorious destiny. Like his humanity, history is not left behind, but is fundamentally altered in its destiny. So the ascension of Jesus Christ changes everything, not as an escape from reality, but as an exodus to the true and better realities of the new heavens and the new earth. And that is really good news. And here is why it should matter to you and to me and to everyone we know. In fact, here is why it matters and why it's good news. The ascension was not the consummation of Jesus's ministry, but the ascension, the the commencement or the continuation of his ministry in heaven. In other words, the ascension did not put an end to the ministry of Jesus, but it simply continued it on. Or you might say it started anew in heaven. The missionary who came to earth to seek and save the lost on the earth has now become the mediator between God and men in heaven. Jesus' earthly ministry started with 40 days of fasting and prayer, and now you see that his heavenly ministry also starts with 40 days of feasting and preaching. And it's on this 40th day that he ascends into heaven. But notice, it is not to abandon us to the earth, but to abide with us by his Spirit. It is not to avoid messing with us, but it is to advocate for us messy people from his throne of grace in heaven. Paraphrasing the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 8, we should know that to all those for whom Christ has purchased redemption, he ministers to them from his throne at the right hand of the Father as priest and prophet and king. Now, he didn't just do that on the earth. He continues to do that in heaven. So hear it this way. As priest, he ever lives to intercede for us. That means he's praying for you even now, even in this moment. He's praying that you would know God and that you would be sanctified by the truth and that you would be united to God and to each other and that you would be protected from the the evil one. He's praying for you even now. As prophet, he ever lives to speak to us in his word and by his spirit. Even in moments like this, Christ preaches to us through the mouth of a pastor. He preaches to us by the spirit in his word. He is revealing the truth of the gospel to us for our nourishment, for our good as king. He ever lives to shepherd the nations and rule over the affairs of the world. But that is not all. He is also serving to protect you and provide for you as subjects of his kingdom. So I want you to see that while this might seem like high and lofty doctrine, it's really about seeing Jesus Christ high and lofty seated on the right hand of God. 
The ascension matters for historical and theological reasons, but more importantly for us, in a practical sense, it matters for personal and existential reasons. It matters to you and your life right now. And here's how. If you want to know, well, what difference does all of this make and why does it all matter? There's a part of me, because I grew up in the Bible Belt and I've got this... this um, this evangelical that lives inside of me, and he's always looking for something to do. Sometimes he's legalistic, sometimes not. So there's a part of me that wants to say, well, Jesus ascended into heaven, so you should go and do likewise. That would be your application. <laughs> and on one hand, we know that that would be utterly ridiculous. For even if you were to go out into the lawn of the church and jump up and down, no matter how high you jumped or no matter how hard you tried, you could not make yourself ascend into heaven. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I think uttering such a statement would be totally glorious. And here's why. For all of you who were baptized into Jesus Christ have been united to Jesus Christ. And if you have been united to Jesus Christ, not only in a death like His, not only in a burial like His, not only in a resurrection like His, you've been united to Jesus Christ also in an ascension like His. The apostles make it very clear in their writings that we have ascended with Jesus to the right hand of God by the Holy Spirit. Although we have not yet ascended with Jesus to the right hand of God in our bodies. And so we're living in the overlap of the ages, the already not yet. We are seated with Christ by the Spirit. We're dwelling on the earth with the help of the Spirit in our bodies. But now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, and now that you know that you also are seated with Him, united with Him by the Spirit in heaven, I want you to know what some of your privileges and advantages are. And here are just a few of them. You have access and closeness to Jesus in ways that you might have forgotten. You may call on the Sovereign Lord in prayer at any time, day or night. And you don't have to shout or dance around an altar or cut yourself and make a lot of noise to get His attention. You're seated with Him in heavenly places. So when you have need, when you're scared, when the world seems to be unraveling around you, you just turn and cry out, Sovereign Lord, and he hears. You have privileges and, privileges and advantages of access and closeness. You may draw near to the throne of grace by faith and find help in your time of need. I find that to be a curious phrase in the scriptures. That you may find help in your time of need. As if there is ever a moment in your life when you don't have need. Some people live that way. I don't need to draw near to God now because I don't have need. But maybe tomorrow when I have need, I'll draw near. 
But the invitation is for us to draw near again and again and again, whether the need is small or great, little or big. We draw near to God in our time of need, and we always have need. Our world is full of trouble. Our life is full of problems, many shapes and sizes of problems. And yet we learn that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear, though all hell breaks loose against us or the earth gives way around our feet. We're united with Christ and seated with him by the spirit in heavenly places. And we have these privileges and advantages. We may come up on the mountain and sit under the cloud and eat and drink at the Lord's table in the presence of the Lord God. We may commune with God at the table that he has prepared for us. We may draw near to worship Christ in the way that God expects us to do. As the Father commands in Psalm 2, we may serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. The Father warns us to kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way for His wrath is quickly kindled. We may worship as the Father promises, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I want to circle back around to our sermon text in Luke 24. And you'll notice in verses 52 and 53 that worship was in fact the apostles' first response to the ascension. It was their first response. They did not complain or despair or grieve that somehow Jesus has left us behind. He's abandoned us. He's walked away. Or in his case, he's flown away. Their response was when they saw the Lord high and lifted up was to worship him. And the word for worship used there is the word we get for blowing kisses. They're blowing kisses to Jesus and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. And you see that nice bookend, right? That when Jesus was there, he lifted his hands over them and he blessed them. And when he flies away, he's taken up in the clouds. They return the blessing. They echo the blessing and bless him in return. And the word for blessing in both cases is the word from which we get the word Eulogy. Eulogy. A little side note on why that's so important. In our culture, in our day and age, we usually withhold the eulogy and we wait until someone has passed away from this life. And when they're not here to hear the good things that we want to say about them or we thought about them, that's when we tell other people all the good words. That's what eulogy means. Good word. But that was not the case with Jesus and the disciples. When he was still alive and is alive and looking upon them, he gives them good words. And as he goes to heaven in the cloud, they return by giving him good words. The eulogies should be uttered by those who are alive for the living, not simply for those who are alive for the dead. But the thing I want you to see here is that it was this knowledge of the truth of the gospel that moved these disciples to bow their knees and confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord. And that is why they offered these good words to him. Well, we're a long way from South Mexico, but I want to take you back to that makeshift house on the hill. What you might not know. Or what you might have forgotten is that in Spanish, the word 
Asuncion and the word Ascension sound very much alike, but they're actually very different. They're different in their meaning. And I was trying to explain that our sister in Mexico wanted to switch the meaning of her name for one basic reason is because she wanted to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and not identify with the Virgin Mary. It was the ascension of Jesus that reminded her to keep looking up, to keep waiting on and keep hoping for the Lord, even in the midst of her extreme poverty and dire straits. I think about Asuncion and her family, and I think of the fact that Asuncion was the glue that held her little family together. When we think about the doctrine of the ascension, we should know that it is also glue that holds our faith family together as well. Without the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven on a cloud to the right hand of God, the story of redemption would be an unfinished tale and an unresolved melody. The whole world would be helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. The church Catholic would not exist at all. The center would not hold together. Things would fall apart. The gospel would not be good news for us. And so I don't want you to overlook the power of the truth of the good news of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. Rather, I want to urge you with all your hearts to look over it again and again with fresh eyes and faithful hearts. As baptized Christians raised with Christ, I urge you to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. To set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on the earth. Or as Eugene Peterson put it in the message, don't shuffle about or shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things right in front of you. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God in heavenly places. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray.